0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: If you have been following the Stop Cop City movement, the one that has now sort of branched off and had a, another arm to its movement, the Cop City Vote movement. Then you know, for the last week and a half or so, the Cop City Vote folks have been working to get a petition approved to hit the streets to get the 70,500 plus signatures needed to put the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility funding up for a referendum. That referendum would take place this November. There are local, I believe, school board and other uh, elections happening, and so the Cop City Vote folks have been working, I say working, have been <laughs> trying to work with the City of Atlanta clerk's office to get a petition approved, and lo and behold, we find out today a petition has finally been approved. John Roach at the Supporter Report, we will include that supporterreport.com link in today's show notes that Interim Municipal Clerk Vanessa Walden sent an email to attorneys for the referendum. Uh, that the petition forms required for signature gathering likely would be available to them no later than 2 p.m. June 22nd, Thursday. The email reads, and I have it here for you, we have reviewed the revised version. Uh, This was sent a little bit before 1 p.m., by the way. Uh, We have received the revised version of the petition you submitted via email at 432 on Tuesday, June 20th, 2023, a copy of which is attached here, too. Without comment on or agreement with the various characterizations and allegations in your email, <laughs> okay, the revised petition now sufficiently reflects applicable legal requirements that I may approve it as to form. If I'm reading into Vanessa uh, a little bit here, I believe there were some allegations of foot dragging. And it's kind of hard not to conclude that, given that it's been nearly two weeks since this effort began. Anyway, the email continues, as previously stated, this approval as to form does not reflect any judgment or agreement by anyone at the city as to the lawfulness or substantive validity of the petitions of blah, blah, blah. Uh, Per state law and the city's code of ordinances, my office will now prepare official copies of the petition to be used by your client. For your convenience, the official copies shall be provided to you in electronic form, uh, though our office will also provide you with hard copies upon your request. We estimate that we will provide these copies to you by no later than 2 p.m. tomorrow, June 22nd, 2023. I also have a mock-up of the petition here in front of me. The question is, shall the City of Atlanta Ordinance 21-0-0367 authorizing the ground lease of 381 acres of forested land to the Atlanta Police Foundation for the construction of a $90 million police training facility be repealed? And then there's a box below looking for a signature, printed name, date, address, telephone number, and uh, optional birth date. So that petition's been approved, and I guess by 2 p.m. tomorrow, the Cop City Vote folks will have signed, uh, not signed, but printed copies in hand. I wonder if they're going to charge them for the copies. Usually, you know, copies cost money. Uh, Anyway, the city clerk's office is going to have some copies for them to hit the streets with. Uh, There's apparently also to be in electronic form. I'm presuming that's PDF so they can just be printed off themselves. Nonetheless, the petition will be in hands and on clipboards and out on the streets for Atlanta residents to sign by tomorrow afternoon. A Couple things, Alex Joseph with the Cop City Vote uh, campaign. She, of course, one of the volunteer attorneys working for them uh, pointed out last time she was on with us. Uh, first of all, you have to be a City of Atlanta resident to sign the petition despite the fact that the facility is being built outside city limits in DeKalb County, DeKalb County voters who are not city of Atlanta residents cannot vote on this. Also an odd little twist. And I, I remember her saying that they're, they're not really looking to challenge this. They want to keep this as clean as possible, but only city of Atlanta residents can even canvas with the petitions. It's been challenged in courts a number of times. I remember her telling us that, but, they're just moving forward with the folks that, that that they have city of Atlanta residents who are going to be hitting the streets to get that petition signed. Uh, I remember this exchange, as a matter of fact, last time we talked.
2: And in particular, it's this idea that they're building a militarized police training center outside of city limits, surrounded by a buffer force. So we don't really know what they're doing. And I do think if the city of Atlanta citizens want this, well, then we should have to live with it and it should be within city boundaries. Right. Like it is yeah. not OK to push this off on our neighbors.
1: That's what really sucks. about I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm, I, I support any idea of putting something to a referendum to let the voters decide. Unfortunately, the voters most impacted aren't Atlanta City voters. They're DeKalb County voters.
2: Right. And the missing signature line on the petition that has now been added, and I will say we turned in the amended petition. They alerted us to the issue on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. We amended it and submitted an amended petition. The signature is to attest that they themselves are from the city of Atlanta. So we now know that only Atlanta, city of Atlanta, citizens, residents can collect petition. So we this whole time have been saying, if you live at DeKalb and you want to get involved, please canvas for the referendum. And this is just one more way that they are being shut out of the process. And I will say this, we've now been researching this issue because we were unaware of this residency requirement.
1: I was going to ask if it's legal.
2: Courts across the country have said it's illegal, most recently um, the First Circuit in Maine, because it violates your First Amendment. The idea behind it is they don't want outsiders you know, um, gathering petitions. But I mean, the Atlanta example is a perfect example. This is an outsider issue. Like you don't get to pretend that this is a local issue when you're building the facility in a different county or outside <laughs> right. of the limit. Yeah. And so why should they not be allowed to get so? Oh, so it hasn't been struck down in Georgia, but it has been struck down by four other courts. And they've all ruled like using the same logic, the same case law, which is that it's unconstitutional. And so if we were to challenge that residency requirement for gathering petitions, we are confident we would prevail.
1: I was just going to ask you, is this something you guys are going to challenge?
2: So we are looking to run a very clean referendum, which means we want to follow all the rules because we anticipate legal challenges. So we are going to get over 70,000 signatures. If they require us to have city of Atlanta residents collect the signatures, we're going to do so. And our hope is that we have a pile of signatures at the end of the day Mm. that check every box and therefore they can't throw out any of those signatures right because at the end of the day the people signing the petition they they don't support cop city they want to support the referendum and so we want to make sure that their votes are heard and counted right mm-hmm. that said we anticipate a nasty fight over the signatures where they're they being they being the city are going to want to challenge our signatures and so we are considering one how are they going to challenge it and two what will our defense be and so in that they're challenging it over the residency requirement of the petition gatherer, we do feel confident we will prevail, but we're hoping to avoid those fights because we want to see this on the ballot. We don't want to be fighting in a court. We want it in the ballot.
1: That was Alex Joseph with us last Friday. By the way, it was over the weekend that the Atlanta Planning Advisory Board voted, according to the Supporter Report, in support of the referendum going on the ballot. Three of its members uh, reporting that to John Roach at the Supporter Report. The planning advisory board is a municipal body with members of uh, different, in fact, all of the neighborhood planning units throughout the city of Atlanta, and that board advises the city on a whole host of issues. That is not an inconsequential endorsement for that referendum. Now, at the end of the day, even if the referendum passes in November, it just Gets handed to city council, and city council already has voted 11 to 4 in favor of it. So this this, this all may be for naught, but at least we are going to find out this November if the citizens of Atlanta, for a fact, want this public safety training facility built where the city of Atlanta is leasing back property that it owns from the Atlanta Police Foundation outside city limits in southwest Cab County. So confusing, right? All right, enough about that. We've got lots more to cover in today's show. Uh, Tim Scott had a town hall with Sean Hannity lobbing softballs inside a sports facility in my old stomping grounds in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I have some thoughts on some of the things that I saw and heard from that back and forth last night. Uh, what else? Oh, big unveiling. We don't normally run to the post office with glee, right? It's like, oh, gotta go to the post. No, I'm excited about going to the post office. In fact, I may not just get the stamp; I may get a poster of the stamp because it's so breathtaking. Can't wait to get this and tell you a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. And I got to share with you a refreshing and invigorating grocery store trip. Nobody likes going to the grocery store, right? I enjoyed this. I'll share with you in minutes. You're listening to the Ron Show on the American Radio App or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show. It's not every day that I want to grab the mic and sing the praises of my most recent grocery store visit. But I have to tell you, I'm pretty invigorated by what I'm seeing in the Summer Hill neighborhood. Now, I am a 49 year old, mostly lifelong Georgian. I was in radio, so I lived a little bit in Alabama and Louisiana, South Carolina. But for the most part, my life has been spent uh, being raised in the state of Georgia. That means I'm a Braves fan. I'm a Falcons fan. Bulldogs, sorry tech. Atlanta United, Atlanta Hawks. Spent a lot of my youth either wanting to be at or going to Fulton County Stadium and or Turner Field in Summerhill. And as much as I have fond memories in both of those stadiums or watching games at both of those stadiums, those two venues were Drags on the Summerhill neighborhood. They just were. There was never much economic development around either of them except on game days. I remember there was a, I think, a KFC Taco Bell combination not far from the stadium. There used to be a bar, I think there might still be, across the street from the old Turner Field, the bullpen or something like that. But nothing else aside from a sea of parking lots all around, either and or both of those venues. Not good for business. It just isn't. And having 89 to 95, depending on preseason games, postseason games, eighty five to or 89 to 95 dates where 50,000 folks in their 32,000 vehicles or so come in and park, go into the venues and spend their money and then get out of the car and clog up the streets and vacate the area, having not spent a dime outside those venues, was both bad for residential or economic development in Summerhill. Obviously, the Braves left for Cobb County, what, five, six seasons ago? And the Falcons long ago left Summerhill when they went first to the Georgia Dome, and now in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Georgia State University savagely swooped in, purchased a huge swath of property on the footprint of the former Turner Field. It's, I forget what it's called, something Park Stadium now. Uh, it's, it's a baseball stadium that's been made to look something like a football stadium, but my amateur sports architectural brain says, keep keep working, keep, keep drawing, because you, you can't just stop here. It, it just looks like you're holding a football game in a baseball stadium. Anyway, the new arena is nice. Eventually, on the footprint of the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, Georgia State University's baseball program will build their baseball stadium there, and there'll be a softball complex as well. But there is a ton of development outside of just the sporting venues. There is mixed-use, street-level retail and residential above it all going up in the Summerhill community. So much so that yesterday was a groundbreaking, not a groundbreaking, a ribbon-cutting for a Publix supermarket in what was an old parking lot for Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium and or Turner Field. What used to cost $25, $40 dollars, You'd get flagged in by some guy who's going to charge you to park on that lot. And it was never really all that well-paved, I must admit. Is now a public supermarket and retail popping up around it. So I stopped today. I I got up this morning and I realized I didn't have any coffee for the K, you know, none of the K pods for the Keurig. And so I groused and complained and I put on some pants. (laughs) (laughs) and went down to the coffee shop, Condessa, uh, on the ground floor at my building and got my caramel iced coffee. I I just, I like my own. I know how much the flavoring is. I know how much I, it's not the same. So it just, the day didn't start out right without my coffee. I had to stop and get coffee. And I realized I didn't have caramel creamer. So I got my uh, oat milk caramel creamer. Picked up a few other things, got some groceries. In Summerhill, in a public supermarket. I'm just kind of blown away by this. This used to be just a sea of parking lots in a run-down neighborhood. They have tried so many things to spur development. Famously, the Braves left the city of Atlanta because they wanted the battery built there in some sort of a joint operation with the city of Atlanta. And every time the city came close to pulling the trigger on it, there'd be a recession or 9-11 or another recession, the housing bust. And finally, the Braves just, all right, look, this isn't going to happen. We got to get out of here. I was against that at the time. But I'm freely admitting that while the the taxpayer in Cobb County, I think, got fleeced a little bit, this is a good thing, that there are no more Falcons or Braves games in Summerhill. Now, selfishly, I'd love it if they were just down the road from where I live. But for Summerhill, I am thrilled. What once was a food desert no longer is. What once was a sea of asphalt and dormant venues for more than two-thirds of the calendar year is now teeming with development. And there is still sporting there. You now have a brand-new college arena. Very nice arena, by the way. If Georgia State can't put a winning team on the court consistently with that in this city and in this state, so rich with basketball talent, then shame on them. It's a fantastic venue. To me, it compares with McCamish Pavilion at Georgia Tech. I like that venue, too, and it pains me to say that. I still like the Stegman Coliseum in Athens. I think there's just something about it. They've done a really good job with it. Nonetheless, Summer Hill still has its sporting events. It has a new uh, arena venue, the stadium, the Old Turner Field, whatever it's called. Park ticket something stadium whatever. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's there. <laughs> they're they're not drawing numbers anywhere near what the Braves used to, or anything close to what the Falcons used to. They're they're a, still a, you know a fledgling division one football program, but nonetheless, there's development in that neighborhood. And that's a good thing, man. That is a good thing to see an area of Atlanta that prior to the interstates gutting a lot of Sweet Auburn and Summer Hill, followed by the, the, the building of uh, Atlanta Stadium, later to be called Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Again, just wiping out whole blocks of neighborhoods for a sports venue. And now we see the reemergence of a neighborhood. And yes, Georgia State benefits, it's student body benefits, but also that community that has suffered so much since the 1950s. Think about that. The 19. we're talking 70-some-odd years since Summer Hill last felt like a viable community. Finally, in 2023, there is a community grocery store. There is a retail development boom happening there. We're not talking liquor stores, convenience stores, and the occasional fast food place. We're talking the sort of linchpin retail that turns communities into thriving communities. So, man, I, uh, for, for this Braves fan, for this Falcons fan, who also was there for the opening ceremonies of the 96 game, uh, let, me, let me check myself. I was there for the dress rehearsal, the, the, the dry run of the opening ceremonies for the Olympic Games. Everything We had everything for the opening ceremonies, I believe including Celine Dion, just not the athletes. That was fun. But I was pinching myself just as much for walking into a brand new, vibrant, busy grocery store and not... Scaled down version of full on big old public supermarket where shopping is a pleasure. I used to work for them, by the way. <clears throat> and Harris Teeter, and so on and so on. Um, I, 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 I just I found myself a little goosebumpy today. I'm not going to lie. I also wanted to stand in line and get some of their chicken tenders. Oh my gosh, their chicken strips or tenders, whatever they call them they're like half a breast, half a boneless breast and delicious. And again, I'm not getting any money from Publix, although if they'd like to sponsor this show, they are more than welcome to. I'm just I'm just relaying to you that I am thrilled to see a neighborhood that had been gutted and starved of opportunity to develop into something else inside the city of Atlanta. ITP where a lot of the OTP and rural and exurban folks kind of grouse about, Orlando oh, struggling and look at the poor people in the home. Well, there's a reason why we have a lot of this stuff, and it's because of past mistakes. Look at us correcting our mistakes inside the perimeter. So happy for Summerhill. If You get a chance, you haven't been to Summerhill in a while, drive on back, stop at Publix, get you some groceries. More Ron Show after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast.
0: This is The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: All right, so I didn't even know the Tim Scott Town Hall was airing last night on Sean Hannity on Fox News until I saw someone post something on social media. In fact, it was my my friend uh, Brian uh, B. Pays, uh, radio personality that I've worked with off and on throughout the Southeast. We've crossed paths a few times. <laughs> he uh, noticed on Facebook or noted on Facebook that he's watching the Tim Scott Town Hall and there was just something about the audience that he noticed was missing. I I think it was melanin. Although I did see in one clip there was one African-American lady in the audience who is apparently a fan of his, so good on him. Uh, And then Sean Hannity went immediately to posing uh, the conundrum that he believes the left is trying to preach to Tim Scott that Tim Scott doesn't know enough about being an african-american
2: and he's one of these guys who you know he's like clarence thomas black republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps rather than to me understanding the systemic racism that african-americans face in this country and other minorities he doesn't get it neither does uh... clarence right and that's why they're republicans tim scott standing there to provide the patina of diversity over that uh, round of words that uh... basketful of words
0: I haven't- spent a lot of time studying Tim Scott's speeches. I think there is a long history of African-American or other minority candidates within the Republican Party who will validate America and say, everything's great and we can all make it. Wow, nothing
1: like getting, nothing like a lecture to an African-American man about what it's like to be black in America from a white liberal from New York, right? Now, in reality, in reality, they just don't like what Senator Scott represents. Democrats rely on the politics of, of victimhood, identity politics, but Tim <laughs> Scott is no victim. He is a poised leader. He works hard, makes good decisions, forges his own path to success. Let's give a warm South Carolina welcome to the man that would like to be the next president of the United States, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Now, let's... First of all, recognize this is on Fox News Channel. This was not a infomercial. This was not a paid hour of programming paid for by the Tim Scott campaign. And yet, there's Sean Hannity, boy, just out there, pom-pom waving. Sean Hannity, by the way, who campaigned for Donald Trump, but also now apparently providing soft landing material for Tim Scott. And I'm not saying he's endorsing Tim Scott. There is a GOP primary season, and I'm sure Sean Hannity will offer all kinds of airtime, perhaps to Asa Hutchinson, perhaps to Chris Christie. We'll see about that. CNN already found time for Chris Christie. But this, this, this sneery, snarky, you know, politics of victimhood, playing the race card stuff, it's so tired. It's just tired. It really is. I always marvel at how quickly those on the right latch onto the Tim Scotts, the Candace Owens, for their agreeing with their mindset, their mentality, their ideolo- uh, ideology, while also dismissing the overwhelming majority and listen, I'm not going to sit here and defend the view. I'm not going to sit here and defend. Uh, I, what's her name? I, she, she's she's not a person of color. I don't. I don't. I don't really have much to to defend her on. Joy Behar was eluding me. Like I, Joy Behar does not need to speak for the the plight of the black person in a dismissive tone towards Tim Scott. Nor do I really. But what I am going to do is I am going to say. I recognize that there's a Tim Scott. I recognize there's a Candace Owen. I recognize every Sunday I watch uh, the Georgia gang on Fox 5, Janelle King. I recognize that she and her husband are people of color who are also conservative. I find myself rolling my eyes and sighing a lot every time Janelle opens her mouth. I'm sure she's a nice woman. She really does seem like a nice woman. Like I, I would love to hang out with Janelle. We would probably not do well to talk politics and because I, I i have one of those faces that i don't have a i don't have a face filter like when you say something like if somebody says something that to me is like jaw dropping or or i i think it's just not not smart not in depth not the truth i don't have a face filter i can't control when my face goes what yeah i do have a face that goes huh i do what like immediately i i can't even so we, Janelle and I, I'm sure we could hang out and be great friends and just not talk politics. But I am going to also, again, note that I just find it interesting that when the GOP wants to make inroads with people of color, they are so quick to latch onto the vast minority, the, the small handful of conservatives of color while also vehemently dismissing the vast and overwhelming majority of people of color who disagree with their ideology and have alternate opinions, a lot of them steeped in history and historic fact. And then, of course, they pivot and bemoan, well, why can't we get the person of color vote? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're dismissing the overwhelming majority of the people of color who are telling you there are systemic issues in our country that need to be addressed while going, nope, not only do I not see it that way, look, I got this one black guy here who is a senator from South Carolina who agrees with me. It's fantastic. The Tim Scott story is fantastic. It's a wonderful anecdote. It's not the reality for the vast majority of this country. There are those who will overcome. And I tell my conservative white and particularly white male friends this all the time. It's always wonderful to see when a person of color get as far as you did. I will tell you that that person of color worked harder to get as far as you did. And there's no argument. There there can be no argument. It's not, it's not substantive to even argue that point. When, When when someone begins to argue that point, I immediately dismiss them and what they have to say. Because you can't argue the point. Tim Scott had to work harder to get to where he was in life, to get to a point where he could serve on a city council. To win a US Senate race in South Carolina. He had to prove himself more. He just did. There's no argument. And he can't argue it. Not not in, in a way that's honest. Tim Scott recognizes disparities in law enforcement or else he wouldn't have lobbied hard and drafted legislation himself for police reform. So it's, it's cute when Sean Hannity likes to, and, and I, I kind of, I don't know. Again, it's not my place to say it because I'm not a person of color, but I say this when uh, I run into a log cabin Republican. It's so disappointing when a gay person who has had all kinds of other benefits to overcome the marginalization that comes with being gay And decides to dismiss the marginalization that they've experienced because they've been able to overcome it with other factors. Sometimes you're born into good genes. Sometimes you're born into affluence. Sometimes you're born into influence. You are born into a family with connections and you're able to overcome things, or they're able to just look the other way or not make much about your lifestyle. And because of that influence or affluence they're born into, their life is pretty much free of that marginalization. And so they just kind of look the other way. I think of my, we're not really friends. I think of the guy Clark. I knew this guy Clark back in South Carolina. Born wealthy, went to college, didn't have to worry about making ends meet while doing that. Didn't worry where his next meal was coming from while gritting his way through school. Became a Big bank executive and lives in a nice neighborhood and his partner, you know, got to work a a job that he really enjoyed that paid pretty good, but they lived off of Clark's money, Clark's family's money. And so Clark was a conservative. Clark openly dismissed any notion of racial inequality or how expensive it is to live poor. (laughs) I know that sounds weird, but it is. It's expensive being poor. We all know this. And so, I I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always kind of grossed out by log cabin types because invariably, when you meet a log cabin Republican, what do you meet? You meet a white male who, by and large, grew up not wondering where their next meal was coming from. That's just that's just that. I mean, that's I, I know I'm generalizing. I know I'm stereotyping a little bit, but that's that's not untrue. Next time you see a clip from a log cabin Republican gathering, or better yet, yeah, just go to one if you if you happen to see one happening, go. You're gonna run into a room full of white gay dudes, by and large. Now, Tim Scott didn't grow up affluent. As as Sean Hannity mentioned, he grew up poor. He struggled. His mom had to work hard. And that's the thing that gets me, man. It's like, Senator Scott, when you grow up poor and your mother had to work doubly hard to help make ends meet for her and her kid, and you knew she made, I don't know, what was it, 77 cents on the dollar? I think that's... Eighty-eight cents on the dollar now, maybe. I mean, it's the, the the pay gap from from male to female is bad. From male to female of color, it's even worse. When you know these things exist, not anecdotally but empirically, and then you trot out there, hey, South Carolina, thank you, and you're hanging out with all the people that bought all their red, white, and blue flag draped stuff from they're nearby Walmart or wherever they bought it. I mean, <laughs> a lot of fashion faux pas last night, but that's another topic for another segment. It just it just breaks my heart to 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 listen to someone who I know in my heart knows in his mind and in his heart that there are disparities and there are obstacles that exist and to just openly dismiss them to do the dance, to, to play the game, to give the bumper sticker slogans, and man, he got a lot of those bumper sticker slogans out and a lot of applause for it in front of a crowd that by and large looks nothing like him. It's just kind of disheartening, not gonna lie. And I remember once I was at a Martin Luther King Day breakfast in Myrtle Beach when Senator Scott came to uh, speak. And I remember this because at the same time, same day actually, he was also in South Carolina to appear at the Tea Party, State Tea Party Convention. I attended both of his speeches and I didn't run into anybody at one that I ran into at the other for one thing. For another, I heard two completely different speeches. Facts. I've said this a number of times before. I have a lot of respect for Tim Scott, the man. I disagree with him on policy. I'd say 95 to 98%. And a lot of it, again, just comes from the disheartening stuff. The, I mean, the, the, his anti-CRT screed last night and... Uh, all about school voucher and school choice. The the facts are there. The data is laid out. Charter schools underperform for students. Vouchers leave poor families still short of being able to send their kid to better schools. And when you're cutting taxes to bring in less money, While cranking out more money for vouchers, which in general only benefit families who can already send their kids to a private school in the first place, it just means you're starving the public school system that much more. It doesn't help. He spoke of being anti CRT, but teaching real American history. I contend to Senator Scott, you can't be both. There is a critical view of history in this country on race sir and to continue to bury it your party banning books here and there the the two the two thoughts don't jibe if you want to teach real american history senator scott there has to be a critical look at race and racism and all the impediments that were put before people of color, some that still exist, that created the generational wealth gap, which, by the way, is shrinking while under President Biden's watch. But I digress. Senator Scott, you can't teach a real American history and leave out the chapter on race and racism in this country and then come out and whine about how the Democrats like to play the victimhood game. More Ron Show after this. Welcome back to the Ron Show. It's not every day you get to say, what a heartwarming and goosebump inducing and bipartisan event that was. The unveiling of the John Lewis stamp, however, Kevin McCarthy, Hakeem Jeffries, both giving eloquent speeches. In fact, I'm going to give you a touch of Kevin McCarthy speaking on behalf of of the memory of John Lewis. Ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. I could have introduced him that way, but all right.
0: You know, we talk about it being fitting to have it in this room, but it's not just in this room, it's the location. I want you to look at Mary smiling down on him. Two great educators, two great civil rights leaders, and two people who changed the course of history to make a more perfect union. You know, almost three years ago, the body of Congressman John Lewis was carried out of the Rotunda and down the steps of the Capitol for the final time. But in many ways, the spirit of John Lewis, who represented the people of Georgia in Congress for more than 30 years, has never left these halls. John Lewis was an extraordinary man of courage, compassion, and moral character. As a young man, he suffered for his nation so that future generations can enjoy the full blessings of freedom. Racism and discrimination were not history for him. They were reality. I had the privilege of going to Selma twice with John Lewis. The first time I was able to go, I took my entire family. We took my son's girlfriend, who is now our daughter-in-law. She was so excited. To meet John Lewis. In this time of the march, it was a presidential year, so the crowds were large as you would visit the churches and we were going to make that march onto the bridge. John Lewis made sure I marched next to him. As the crowds got bigger and everybody wanted to be with John, as my family would walk a little slower, we got crowded out. I remember as we were walking down the street, he stopped the entire march cameras, those who were running for president, to make sure my family was back with him. But what I remember is what he told me as he made that march. He's going by one and he said, I got arrested trying to eat lunch at the counter in that building. As we marched towards the bridge, I will never forget. He would would tell us the story of that day But when we got to a certain point, I can't tell you anymore. I don't remember past this moment when I was beaten. He doesn't remember how he got back, but he was carried back close to his own death. He'd been beaten so bad that he lost consciousness. He almost died. Yet John never gave up on America or gave in to himself to be angry. Instead, he rose above prejudice and responded to the force with forgiveness. In other words, he used what was right with America to fix what was going wrong in America. John was also a teacher who believed deeply in civic education and led by example. We actually worked together for many years on We the People's Civic Education. Fittingly, his very last act of public service was about civic education. He and I sent a letter the day before he died calling for more investment in civic courses in elementary, middle, and high schools. Even on the last day of his life, John never stopped working to prove the lives of others. You know, there are certain things that happen in your life that are so powerful When they happen, it almost happens like a slow motion. You remember it that way. I told you about the first time I went to Selma with them. The second time was the 50th anniversary. This one was different. This was the 50th anniversary, the amount of press. And on this day, President Obama was gonna speak. I think he gave one of his best speeches and I told him afterwards. But that wasn't what moved me that day. As I sat with Senator Tim Scott, we were in the front row. You know what moved me? Watching John Lewis and thinking about 50 years prior being beaten simply because he wanted to register people to vote, standing up and introducing President Obama, the President of the United States. I may be in a different party, I may have different views, but I'm an American. I got goosebumps and I got tears thinking how far we had come, and thinking that John Lewis led the march on that bridge and led the introduction that day, that regardless of how you felt about our country, you realized the change that had begun, and the man who led it was right in front. He may not smile on here, but I remember him. I told the postmaster it should have been a gift, and he should have been dancing. (laughs) Because that's the way I knew John. People wouldn't realize that we had a pretty good friendship, as Michael would attest. He won many more awards than I ever could, but I remember sometimes he'd have me come and provide the award with him. I was fortunate when these groups had given it to everybody else that I won a few and I asked John to be the one to present to me. I am proud and honored to call John a friend. Everyone should strive to celebrate his incredible life and his legacy, and we should learn from it. Fortunately, they endure. In fact, they're stamped on our hearts forever, and John will be as well. Thank you, and God bless.
1: Uh, uh, Such a moving speech. I just, I find it hard to believe that he also tweeted on July 6 2021, critical race theory is racism. Pass it on. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand. Yeah. That'll do it for this edition of the Ron Show. Back weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or
2: wherever you podcast. Get more at RonShowATL.com.